The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Three, two, one. We're recording, Dror. Hi, Mark. So, uh, are you recovered? You know, I mean, it was a big week last week in Las Vegas, the annual yeah, yeah. NAB pilgrimage. Yeah, it was huge, and uh, I hardly got any sleep last week. I used the weekend to recover, and now uh, fully energized uh, to look back at uh, what happened there and uh, what we saw in terms of um, industry trends and where the industry is going. First of all, um, I, I think you set a bit of a record, right? You ran the 4K run and uh, what, you did it in under 20 minutes? That's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, a personal record. It's not that fast, but that was my uh, goal for this well, uh, run. <laughs> personal record? I mean, hey, yeah. that still counts. You know? We managed to do it, yeah. We, we really like the 4K run. A very nice branding, 4K. <laughs> so you run four That's kilometers right. uh, for your 4K video. And uh, this year it was uh, for a good cause. Um, a nonprofit called uh, Girls Girls Who Code um, for promoting um, uh, technology uh, studies and computers uh, with girls uh, in high school, and uh, I think this is a great cause. And it was uh, really fun, you know, to do the run. We were 750 people running in uh, Sunset Park in Las Vegas in the morning. 750. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's a big group. Yeah. That's yeah, not yeah. a small run. It's not the Boston Marathon, but, you know, no, it's, but, but it's still. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a big run and it's fun. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do a small video, you know, saying that we're running because uh, the Beamer software can run on-premise or on the cloud. And, uh, <laughs> now, were you running on the cloud? That's my <laughs> no, question. I, I were was you on-premise on yeah. or on the cloud? <laughs> I was on-premise. Um, oh, okay, okay. But uh, um, the problem was that it was so windy that day, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> record it because there was so much noise. But, uh, yeah, yeah had, had a lot of fun. Well, Jor, let's... Um, you know, let's jump in. Uh, you know, I one of the things um, that I'm that I'm I'm finding is that um, you know trade shows are still important markers uh, for for kind of industry news. You know, a lot of vendors will. Uh, even, you know, push, uh, certainly push, you know, product releases and, you know, updates. It's a, it's a, a traditional time, you know, to say, hey, yeah. we've got, you know, this new product we're launching or this new update to an existing product, etc. Um, but now, you know, we're seeing uh, content announcements, we're seeing service announcements that are getting pushed. Um, we're even seeing patent pools that get announced. <laughs> and, and I think we're gonna, we're gonna talk about Sysvol. So, you know, I won't, I won't jump ahead, um, yeah. but, uh, you know, around NAB. So, you know, this is really not an NAB podcast. This is more of a, of a you know, where's the industry now uh, in, in April 2019? Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, we can start um, by saying that HEVC is real. It's being used by major OTT providers, and it is increasingly supplying a significant share of deliveries uh, on the yes. network. And yeah, so I'd be curious. You know, I know you had a lot of meetings, drawer, and you know, did you see and hear this as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the OTT providers uh, uh, told me that they're already 
Uh, over 50% of the deliveries are HEVC um, in That's terms right. of the devices. Another one told now me is this uh, this is an important distinction. Is that for all resolutions or is that 4K only or no, for, for all resolutions? For all wow. resolutions. Wow. The, wow. The, the strategy now is that if you have a device that's HEVC capable, you would want to deliver HEVC to that HEVC device. HEVC to it, yeah. And, and continue to deliver AVC to devices that are not capable to receive HEVC. And, uh, and, and the logic makes sense because... Um, deliver H.264 to the devices. Exactly. The devices that don't support HEVC. Don't support and, uh, HEVC, that's right. And it makes sense because the device vendors... Of those devices that support HEVC have already paid the royalties um, on the codec. And uh, today, at least publicly, nobody announced that they're um, expecting any royalties from the content providers for HEVC. So, um, you know, the game is on. I, I heard from another uh, OTT provider that they now, 20% um, of the deliveries are HEVC and they expect to get to 50% by the end of the year. Obviously, to TVs, all the 4K TVs support uh, HEVC, so even if you're not getting a 4K stream, if it's only HD stream over the top, you can still decode um, an HEVC signal. So uh, it makes sense to get the better quality and the reduced bandwidth of HEVC um, if you're streaming to a television. And of course, all of those Apple devices, the iPhones, uh, the iPads, and uh, the newer Samsungs um, that support HEVC. So... Um, it, it really makes sense, and we're seeing more and more um, content providers, service providers uh, um, starting to uh, deploy HEVC in parallel to H.264 um, for these exact reasons, you know, improving the quality and reducing bandwidth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that kept me busy is I actually participated on two panels uh, during NAB. So um, one was the Avid Connect conference and uh, ha had, a, had a great discussion uh, talking about OTT. Another one I actually moderated for the Streaming Summit. And on the Streaming Summit panel, I had... Um, uh, live view uh, on and you know live view of course they they have a hardware product uh, um, a lot of our listeners may may know that product it's used often by um, you know in the field reporters um, uh, sports teams use it uh, you know it's it's very very popular and they do a annual uh, they call it state alive report their last state alive report showed that 25% of their streams are HEVC, 25%. Mm -hmm. And they have a very heavy um, and, and massively growing use of even UHD 4K. The point is, is that, you know, for the critical contribution and in the field, um, these are HEVC streams. And, 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 and this isn't just sort of like a you know, like it's sort of plateauing and it's going to kind of, I mean, these are growing year over year. So it makes sense. Well, when you're mobile, when you're in the field, yeah, you want to get uh, the best quality you can uh, given your limited bandwidth. And even when live view um, aggregates several uh, different uh, cellular channels into a single one by, uh, by bonding, uh, still your bandwidth is, is limited and depends on the congestions in your, in your area. And if you can get uh, better video quality, then uh, then why not? You know, I teased out that there's a lot of new product announcements. There's even new patent pools that <laughs> now have been uh, introduced around NAB. So uh, uh, tell us about the patent pool that that 
reared its head. Uh, yes, uh, very interesting timing. Like, uh, I think it was a week before NAB. It was a week before. That's right. Yeah. CISVEL, um, uh, which organizes uh, patent pools for various uh, standards and technology, uh, especially in the communication space, um, said that they have uh, now come up with uh, two separate patent pools, one for VP9 and uh, one for uh, AV1. And uh, they will soon uh, publish uh, exactly the patents they got so far. And they also uh, opened up the, a call to other um, holders of patents who think that these two codecs may infringe on their patents, and they're uh, calling them uh, to join the patent pool uh, as well. Um, it's a very interesting development. Um, we haven't seen a response from uh, the Alliance of Open Media yet. Um, except some, I think it's some blog post or social media post of somebody uh, associated with, with the AOM that says, uh, show me the patents. You know, we're waiting for the patents. Once we see them, we can respond. But right now it's been an announcement without patents. Interestingly, it was an announcement with royalty rates. So yeah, that's uh, right. Know, typically, it uh, takes a long time until you... Um, establish the royalty rates. There's a patent, and, and it's product. under NDA. You know, it's this big yeah, secret, yeah. which which I never understood. You know? I mean, not, not like, always. Yeah. For for MPGLA and HVC Advance, they do publish the royalty rates. Uh, Velos That's Media true. has uh, has kept it uh, under um, uh, NDA, and uh, since Velos came out came out um, initially uh, with with these uh, royalty rates, which are. Um, uh, pretty reasonable, I think, although there is no cap um, on on uh, on the amounts. But I guess this can still change. You know, with HVC Advance, there have been a, a lot of changes in the model until they uh, you know converge on the one that they use today. That's um, right. So it it does uh, surprise, I think, the industry um, because. Uh, there has been a lot of discussion on the fact that AV1 is royalty-free, royalty-free. And I uh, remember in one of our first uh, podcast episodes, we questioned uh, this uh, statement. We did. Uh, we did. <laughs> and now, indeed, there is a patent pool for AV1 now. And again, Now it looks lawyers. like we weren't the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we are not lawyers, and it doesn't say no, that's that, right. that these are valid patents or can be enforced right. eventually. You know, everything is decided in in a court, uh, you know, once a patent infringement um, uh, claim is, is being made. But, uh, indeed, an interesting development um, uh, in terms of, uh, of the industry uh, because, uh, you know, customers and vendors who know that there is now a patent pool will, will maybe start thinking that uh, the alternative of this um, uh, codec is uh, maybe the, that single advantage is not that um, uh, solid as, as they thought uh, before. So it's uh, really interesting to see how this development, how this develops and uh, what would be the official uh, response from uh, AOM uh, before or after um, the the actual patents are published. Yeah, you know my my take on this drawer is I on on one hand, um, like you say, you know it's not a surprise at all to us, and I think really for anybody who um, just understands that unless a single entity 
has developed um, completely in-house a solution. I, I sort of feel it's a mirage, you know, this whole royalty free, uh, it's just a mirage because it just doesn't seem possible to develop a technology and not utilize someone else's IP in some way. Now, as you stated, the, these things have to get ultimately tried in court or, and we're not lawyers. And so, you know, we're not making any statements about, you know, whether this is going to be validated, the CISFL patents or, you know, whether it's real or, you know, we're making no statements at all about that. But I do think that there was a certain line of thinking around AV1 that was just very much royalty-free, royalty-free, royalty-free. And we were always sort of putting the question mark behind that statement. And this just proves that, yeah, I mean, royalty-free at, at a minimum is very, very, very difficult promise to make. And uh, anybody who is sort of uh, pursuing, whether it's AV1 or whether it's any other technology on the basis of it being royalty-free, I, I think it's sort of shaky, it's shaky ground, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, if, if it was a totally new encoder, Based on completely new technology, yes, um, you know, like like fractal encoding or wavelets or, or whatever, something that's totally different than what has been done in the industry, then maybe th there could be a, a stronger claim about uh, being uh, royalty free. But uh, this is a block-based uh, encoder, block -based. you know, motion, yeah. motion compensated. All the basic uh, building blocks of uh, all video encoders since MPEG one until uh, VVC, all all of those. Um, uh, generations that we reviewed in a previous podcast with uh, Leonardo right. Charlione, right, the chairman of yep. MPEG. And uh, I, I would assume it's quite difficult to, you know, to sidestep each and every one of them. But again, um, the courts we'll, uh, will we'll decide. See. Yeah, and now, exactly. uh, yeah, we're, we're waiting for and, uh, for a response. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, uh, you know, I was asked uh, a few times. Although interestingly enough, it didn't come up as much as I anticipated, but. You know, certainly there were a handful of folks that were curious what our take was. And we had a similar dialogue as what you and I just had. And, you know, most everybody, in fact, everybody I talked to was, you know, pretty much nodding their head and in agreement. But, you know, I would say that at the end of the day, this is not a good thing. It is clear that the the, the patent um, mores and the you know kind of the, a little bit of the mess of of not just HEVC, but you know this stops innovation. And not it doesn't stop innovation, but it stops the adoption. And we certainly um, speaking, you know, from Beamer's perspective, we want it to be as easy as possible for the industry to adopt uh, new technologies and new exciting approaches. And I think. Um, you know, this isn't necessarily, uh, you know, we're not necessarily cheering this on, <laughs> I guess, no, uh, no. you know, as, as, you know, so as much as on one hand, yeah, you know, it appeared that maybe AV1 had, had some nice tailwind behind it, tailwind of royalty free, and maybe that could cause, you know, AV1 to sort of scooch ahead at some point, HEVC, you know, having this now, this CISVL and, you know, certainly others that are probably going to pop up. Yeah, it's, it's ultimately not a good thing for the industry. But let's talk about something else that is very interesting. And 
you know, it's no secret uh, for multiple years now, there has been a significant trend to black boxes being removed from encoding operations. So kind of, you know, hardware is dead, you know, software is eating hardware, you know, all those phrases that we've heard. And and certainly um, that continues to be the case. But right. the, the service providers and the MSOs, the telcos, they don't want to buy hardware boxes anymore, hardware proprietary boxes, boxes that's right. from vendors of transcoders or multiplexers or whatever. They want to buy uh, standard um, off-the-shelf servers, build their own uh, private cloud and get software from the vendors which they can integrate and scale. Um, and that software should preferably be in uh, containerized, such as uh, Docker, which you can easily uh, deploy and scale. Um, across the cloud, and uh, you can easily manage it. Um, you know, instead of having this box that if something goes wrong, you need to throw it away and put it in another box, and uh, it doesn't scale and it's expensive. So th that is a um, general trend that we're seeing uh, lately. On one hand, black boxes are dead, but is hardware dead? Yes, black boxes are dead because um, um, because as, as, as we said, uh, what, what the service providers are looking for is uh, flexibility and, and scalability. But on the other hand, for certain types of uh, video applications, the software-based processing on CPUs is just not enough. The standard, you know, Intel and AMD CPUs, uh, even with their, um, you know, built-in uh, instruction sets that uh, help to accelerate video processing, um, it's, it's good for, for applications such as entertainment where the content is, uh, pretty much uh, limited. But when you go to applications such as, uh, user generated uh, content or, uh, cloud gaming or, uh, surveillance uh, cameras that you have on every street and every corner, um, then, uh, you actually come to the conclusion that it is, it won't be cost effective to buy thousands and thousands of, uh, of CPUs to run these applications. And now we are seeing in, um, in, in the months uh, before NAB and also at the show itself, um, that uh, vendors are, uh, or service providers are going back to uh, looking at hardware-based uh, solutions, looking at video ASICs that they can deploy to accelerate video. And uh, these video ASICs can be either dedicated ASICs that do uh, video only, uh, or they can be uh, GPUs with uh, hardware IP, hardware macros that do the video encoding um, inside uh, the GPU. Um, some others are looking at uh, FPGA solutions. And all of this hardware of uh, dedicated ASICs and, and accelerated uh, GPUs uh, is being deployed at scale. It's being deployed um, in private clouds and also in public clouds um, because for this type of uh, uh, application where you really have a massive amount of video that you need to encode, to process, uh, to prepare um, a set of encodes for ABR streaming, uh, you want to do it as efficiently as possible and uh, with the best uh, power efficiency uh, that is possible. So if you have enough uh, scale uh, in terms of uh, your content, you know, like the large platforms, uh, Facebook and uh, YouTube and others. This is on the UGC side, and obviously on uh, the surveillance size side, 
There are also organizations and governments who need to process huge amount of uh, video coming from uh, from cameras. Uh, for this type of applications, uh, you would look at uh, deploying hardware-based uh, solutions uh, at scale because that's the only way to tackle the problem. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Dor, it's probably worth pointing out that uh, we were fortunate enough to sort of have a front row seat at this transition uh, or this, um, you know, this new inflection point, I guess, or, you know, um, growth curve, <laughs> uh, because we actually showed at NAB a very interesting port of our CABR, that's our content adapted bitrate solution that was integrated with the hardware uh, encoder on Intel. So the Intel Media SDK. Uh, and Drawer, I, I think that was really well received, wasn't it, by everyone who saw that? Yes, very much. Uh, it was well received by by Intel and by others. Just to see seeing the potential of this, because previously the content adaptive bitrate rate control was available only as part of of our uh, software encoders. So you need to go with software uh, encoding when you do content adaptive bitrate, and that's fine for VOD. But for live, it puts a large burden on your CPU because CABR takes more time to compute than, than a regular encode. But once we've taken that uh, CABR uh, content adaptive bitrate engine as a rate control and exported it as a library that can be used with any encoder, then now you can um, utilize the uh, high performance of hardware video encoding while still enjoying the smarts of uh, the CABR rate control uh, running externally and instructing the encoder on a frame-by-frame basis, uh, what would be the best uh, compression uh, uh, parameters? And I think it worked uh, very well with the integration with the Intel hardware uh, under the Intel Media SDK, and uh, we're looking forward uh, to doing it with the other types of uh, hardware video encoders. And also, obviously, once we have this library, it can be integrated with other software encoders. And basically, it's relevant to any block-based encoder, not just H.264 uh, and um, and uh, and HEVC. So that's that's really an interesting trend and development. And we were uh, fortunate to take uh, to take part of it, and um, to take part in it. Sorry. And uh, we we did see a lot of interest, both from uh, platforms that have a lot of UGC content. Um, to uh, providers that want to do uh, edge encoding and uh, and have these um, GPU platform with uh, hardware encoding enabled um, at the edge. So um, it's really an, an interesting uh, development uh, to watch as uh, the pendulum swings from hardware to software and back to hardware. And, and uh, back to hardware. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I know that we're beginning to coin a, a phrase, which um, we'll see if it gets adopted, but, uh, you know, of smart encoders. And uh, I think, and this gets to another, um, you know, trend and, and certainly um, it, it was popular beginning last year. It seemed like everybody in the industry had their version of content adaptive or CAE, you know, some called it context aware, content aware encoding. There were, you know, different uh, ways to describe it. Um, but uh, it, the effort is really just to um, uh, 
apply some additional, you know, and I'll put air quotes, smarts in the encoding process to reduce bitrate while retaining some sort of, of, of quality, you know, that was specified. And everybody has their own approach, their own solution. Um, right. At the end of the day, most of these solutions are really just rehashed CRF schemes, um, you know, with that's really all they are. Um, you know, some are doing, you know, title scene categorization. Uh, you know, there's, you know, there's other methods, but at the end of the day, um, it's, it's, they're, they're really not that smart. <laughs> they're not that complex. <laughs> and what we're certainly seeing is the industry wants this, they need it. Uh, and yet the challenge is, is that all of these approaches, ours included, are compute intensive, some more than others, but they all require additional cycles that, you know, it's just a fact <laughs> of, of, of how the solutions need to work. And generally, the more effective they are, they can require more compute. So the fact that there are these silicon-based solutions that are beginning to uh, come to market or beginning to um, uh, be developed is is really what the industry is looking for. Yeah, that, that is right. Um, as, as we said, when you combine the smarts with, with the hardware, you really get a, a solution that's, uh, that both um, you know, reduces the bitrate and has a great performance. But uh, in some cases, you don't have access to the hardware and you want to have something that's pure software. And that's why we, we um, invested a lot in optimizing uh, the CABR technology and uh, came up with uh, a new variation that's called FastCABR. And with FastCABR, the overhead of using this uh, smart method of encoding over regular VBR is, is rather small. We're now down to 20% overhead when you're using uh, the, like the slow modes, the high quality mode for VOD encodes, and about uh, 2x slower than VBR when you're using live. Um, so obviously there is a trade-off between bitrate reduction and, and performance, but still, even with the software implementation, I think um, uh, it is reasonable. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy that we got uh, to this level because initially when we um, proposed this method of checking the best compression parameters for each frame and, and running a quality measure on each frame to make sure that quality is not hurt. You know, people were saying, this is crazy. You know, it will never fly. It's just too much uh, <laughs> CPU. Um, That's right. But, uh, you know, by, by optimizing it and, uh, you know, keeping only the necessary components and then doing a, a very smart uh, search for the right parameters so we can converge like in one or two iterations, um, we managed to bring it to these uh, uh, high levels of, uh, of performance. Uh, and as, as you mentioned, uh, th there are some approaches that call themselves content-aware, and it's always funny to me. We've basically invented this field seven years ago, and uh, every time uh, a newcomer you know, jumps on the boat and says, we're also content-aware, they just copy the marketing messages you know, that we invented seven years ago. Yes, they do. And use the exact same <laughs> phrases. And, uh, and obviously, the, the benefits are the same. And we, we, I'm sure we have pictures uh, from 2013 IBC <laughs> when we showed at that time what we were calling Beamer Video. Uh, but right. the messages uh, really have been unchanged. You know, we've 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 varied them slightly, and you know, but at the end of the day, uh, it's similar. So yeah, yeah. Well, so I, uh, I, I understand it. It might it might be difficult for customers to to really you know. 
to make um, sense of all the different, make sense of the, you know, because everybody's saying the same thing and making the same right. promises, you know. So how do right. you cut through the noise? That's and it, one of the challenges. It's difficult. It's difficult yeah. unless you are really a codec expert um, to to go and understand. But basically, I think the test is is easy. Basically, you have you have a file, you encode it at a certain bit rate, you look at the quality. Uh, you encode it with, with the smart encoding, you see what is the quality, how much bitrate you saved, and you compare it to the original. That's it. You know, you have a set That's of eyes, right. use them. Use and, them. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. You can, yeah. And, and then you can, uh, you, you really see what, what's the, uh, what's the right approach. Well, I know drawer, uh, you know, I, I participated in a number of the demos where we were showing, uh, the 4k, um, uh, let's see, I guess it was a 4K P60 file that was a VBR encoded. Um, uh, I think, I think it was it a P60 file on uh, the Intel um, that came out of the Intel uh, QuickSync encoder. And then when you turned on CABR, it literally, the bit rate was cut in half, went to seven right. and a half megabits. Right. Um, but inside Beamer View, you know, attendees were able to see that the image was unchanged. It was perceptually identical. Uh, and that's just an amazing achievement. Now, you won't always get 50%. You know, sometimes it's 40%. It is truly content adaptive. Uh, there were a lot of people who walked away, you know, really with kind of their minds blown. So, you know, it's pretty amazing. Let's move on and talk about um, 8K. And, and then I want to end talking about business models because, mm -hmm. uh, wow, ha have there been some massive, uh, you know, announcements. And But, but let's talk yeah. about 8K. So on one hand, 8K was kind of, everywhere um i think i think we were one of the few booths that didn't <laughs> and nowhere did we reference 8k uh but you walk past pretty much everybody else's booth and there was somewhere there was a reference you know to 8k drawer is 8k happening do do we need to start gearing up uh, already for 8k or what's what's going on not yet not yet i mean 8k is important in the production side uh because you need to have when you produce you need to have the highest quality original as, as you can, uh, both for uh, editing purposes, if you want to take you know part of the picture and not all of it, and if you want to keep it for a few years until 8K delivery is uh, is, is something that is viable, um, and and that's why when you uh, record, when you shoot, when you do post production, you want to do it at the highest resolution that's available uh, to you. But on the delivery side, uh, I don't think anybody is talking about. Um, 8K delivery right now, we're still in the early days of 4K. Now, almost, I mean, a lot of people have the 4K TVs. I'm not sure what the penetration rate is right now, but um, I'm sure by the end of the year, you know, we'll have a, a majority of them. Uh, today, every TV that is sold is 4K. Um, but still, we are in early days of uh, deploying 4K content to the consumers especially over the top and especially for live. So um, if you go to Netflix, you have uh, many series um, being delivered in 4K and 4K HDR. And, um, but if you uh, look at uh, live um, uh, broadcast, you know, sports, it's mainly around events such as the World Cup and uh, Wimbledon. And uh, soon we're going to have in June uh, the Women's uh, World Cup. Uh, these are events that will be broadcast in... Uh, in 4K, when you have a very large audience and you want to get the best quality possible, some leagues in Europe started 
to uh, to move their uh, broadcast uh, to 4K uh, when they have their matches um, uh, during the weekend. Um, but you don't see like a proliferation of uh, 4K live channels into all of your, uh, um, let's say, uh, even cable and, and satellite. You know, it's kind of a niche product. You have a few channels for sports and maybe a fashion channel, things like that. Um, but you don't you don't see the major news and drama and and, and kids channels are going uh, are in that direction. Um, it it will still it will still take time. Yeah, it's it's true. And I think you know we started out talking about HEVC and how um, HEVC is is really arrived as a Kodak and it's being adopted and it's growing. I think one of the points that that we missed a little bit in that first discussion is is that. Um, HEV, if you think about it, HEVC has always been here, except the problem was it was only linked to 4K. Like, yeah. like when you said HEVC, it, it just, even in people's minds, it was like, oh, okay, 4K. But for everything else, you know, I don't even think about HEVC. I use H.264. The shift is, is that now the industry and, and a lot of major services are decoupling HEVC from 4K and saying, hey, HEVC is the best codec, period, for all resolutions. And I think um, that's a, a very uh, big deal is that, you know, when we think about for, certainly 8K, uh, just like with 4K, it's impossible to think about using H.264. You just can't get, you know, the bit rate to where you, you need it to be. Right. Even 8K, right. the bit rate with HEVC is, is, is very high uh, and really not streamable uh, in many environments. But this decoupling of the resolution from, from the codec is, I think, a, a, a very good thing. You know, as the industry upgrades their codecs and, and, and just upgrade, you know, even their architectures and things become kind of more modular, that, that sort of just lays the groundwork so that at the time that AK production workflows are actually real and there's an audience for it and there's a, all these systems, you know, so that's the nice thing about software. And even though we just got done talking about, you know, this uh, trend, uh, at least in some environments towards silicon based hardware, um, still it's software running on these, you know, GPUs or, or, you know, custom ASICs or FPGAs. And so, you know, um, other than you need a certain amount of processing power for 8K, it's a lot of pixels. Yeah, um, it's a lot of if, pixels. Yeah, it's a lot of pixels. There's a lot of horsepower needed. Then it's just a matter of density. You know, how much work can you do? Well, let's uh, move on and let's end, I think, with uh, this is a, a great discussion. And we certainly could pick off, you know, um, there's many other technology trends and, uh, you know, we could talk about CMAF and, you know, there's a lot. And we'll do separate episodes, I think, to talk about some of these other things. Um, but business models and specifically, um, you know, we just recently got a, a bit more clarity around Disney Plus, uh, you know, mm -hmm. pricing, uh, Warner, uh, you know, Warner Media and their streaming service, um, not nearly as much detail there. We have Apple, you know, we have the Pluto TV acquisition, which is now, uh, I, I think that was 
a couple months ago, it was finalized, you know, like less than 30 days ago, um, but still really new. We have T-Mobile that just put some more information out and launched in some selective markets, their TV service. Um, now, uh, unfortunately, it appears their service is still centered around a, a, a kind of a set-top box, and it looks a, a, a little more like sort of traditional pay TV. I think it's worth you know talking about what's happening here because one of the big things, and uh, you know, George, jump in. Let's let's discuss this. You know, what you're seeing, what you heard, is that the AVOD business model, so the advertise advertising sponsored video on delivery versus subscription VOD, is 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 going to be big. You know, on the surface, that seems like a very obvious statement. Like, well, of course, people like free, you know, and we've sort of been trained. Uh, we watch ads and we get free TV. Um, that's the broadcast model, right? I, I think it's just very interesting. There were a lot of eyebrows sort of raised at, at even the valuation of Pluto TV, you know, that it it didn't, it was not a fire sale, <laughs> you know, that no. they, they were not acquired, no. you know, because, you know, they needed an exit, they ran out of money. And so let's get what we can. This was a very nice exit. I think they raised somewhere around $60 million and sold for $340 million after just, um, what was it, five years, I think, five, yeah, five and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, so a very nice exit, you know, and now you've got other AVOD services that are showing some amazing subscriber numbers and growth. And so so what's happening around business models? You know, what sort of insights can you share, you know, that you're hearing, seeing? I think uh, in, in, in the future, there will be room for both models as there is room today for broadcast TV, uh, commercial uh, TV that is uh, sponsored by the advertising and uh, subscription TV, where you get a lot of channels on cable and satellite by paying a monthly fee. I think w w when you look at at, uh, at at content, today there is also uh, this uh, competition between content that is created by a pay platform, such as uh, HBO and obviously you know Netflix and Amazon, uh, and between the content that's created by... Um, the commercial channels like ABC, NBC, and eventually it's 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 a content play. Who makes the interesting content that you want to watch? Both models, I think, can can live uh, side by side. And if if you look um, like media in 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 the more general sense, such as newspapers or um, you know news websites on the internet, um, you also see this interesting trend that, that they started commer uh, completely uh, advertising uh, driven. And uh, slowly but surely, they're moving to a paid model. Some of the big uh, newspapers have put a, a paywall. Some of them have been more successful with it than, than others. But definitely, it is something that, that can work. If you have the right content, then people are, uh, are, willing, uh, are willing to pay for it. There should be solutions in the market to address every need. So if somebody doesn't want to pay for content at all or cannot pay for content, then uh, you need to have an offering that's advertising based so they can uh, enjoy it. And um, if somebody is willing to pay, appreciate the value of the content that you provide, then that's where the, um, uh, the SVOD uh, model um, comes in. There, there is a really um, an interesting distinction between the aggregators of the content and the providers of the content. And that's really interesting because Netflix started as an aggregator of content. 
they would buy movies, buy TV shows, and then, you know, deliver them to you. And now they more and more rely on their own produced content because they came to the conclusion that obviously if they buy something from somebody and just deliver it with the, uh, you know, advancements in over-the-top delivery made more simpler, uh, made the simpler from year to year, um, you know, next year that content provider will deliver um, uh, will deliver the content on their own uh, to their subscribers. So that's why uh, companies who are only aggregators are investing more and more in original content uh, production. Um, and and Disney, obviously, you know, it's it's a content powerhouse. So their services being driven by their own content, and at the same time. Obviously, they are pulling their content out of other services so they can deliver it uh, on their own uh, to consumers. And uh, and Apple, because they don't have so much content yet on their own, will have to act uh, initially as, a, as an aggregator. Um, I think, uh, you know, leveraging their brand and leveraging their huge uh, user base um, to, to get uh, other content uh, providers on board and let Apple, you know, provide um, content uh, through the, the Apple service in the same way that Apple is doing with music, with uh, newspapers, and uh, as they have done before with, um, you know, VOD content on iTunes. Yeah, so I, I think it's very interesting. There was certainly uh, some discussion. I, as I said, I was on two panels. And one of the panels I was on, uh, the Apple service was referenced. You know, it was referenced in sort of a, a negative, you know, sort of blase, like, well, you know, Apple made their announcement, but there's no details. And, you know, how are they going to shake up the industry with this announcement? You know, okay, they prayed it out Oprah, you know, and a few other stars, but okay. But I sort of think, you know, it shows also why I believe that Disney um, is going to be, uh, I think, hugely successful uh, with Disney Plus. And the fact is, is that Disney has been laying the groundwork for for controlling their content distribution for uh, years now. Um, you know, these deals that are now coming to an end and the content that's coming off platforms, um, they were done years ago, you know, because these deals are multi-year. Sometimes you might strike a five-year, you know, output deal. So they, they've they been planning this for years. And as content is coming off Netflix and coming off, uh, you know, other streaming platforms, you know, first of all, they have great content. They have a brand that's universally known around the world. You know, I, I haven't looked at some of the latest statistics, but I have to believe they're right up there with Coca-Cola. You know, you can drop yeah, into, you know, and McDonald's. and McDonald's, you know, there's Coca-Cola, McDonald's and Disney. I mean, and then there's Ford and then there's Apple and, you know, I I mean, it's it's just amazing. You literally go anywhere in the world, and people will know. Don't speak any English, but they know those brands. They know the brand mark. The point is, is that there's discussion around you know f- subscription fatigue, and certainly, um, I think that we're going to see you know over the next uh, three to five years, um, there there is going to be an amazing. Actually, I should probably say five to seven years, but I always hate putting timelines on things because we underestimate. Um, I mean, we overestimate, you know, often in the short term and underestimate in the long term, um, yeah. these things. But the point is, is that there's there's going to 
going to be all these services. Uh, you know, Netflix is by far and away number one. Netflix is not in trouble. You know, sure, there's going to be challenges to their business. Yes, you know, there's new quote competitors, but. Netflix has such an overwhelming advantage of, of being just global and having the content library and investing is the way they have. I, you know, anybody who's thinking that Netflix is, you know, in trouble, I, I think just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't understand how powerful they are and, and how overwhelmingly people love, you know, what they do. Um, but there's Disney with awesome content, you know, of course you have, of course you could say, yeah, but what about Warner, you know, Warner media, they've got a really impressive catalog too. And that's right. Um, but I think, you know, with Apple, I think they're actually not, I would argue that they're not an aggregator. They're more like a platform. Um, and the whole reason why they're, you know, people were hoping that Apple was going to come out and somehow have these magical deals. And there was going to be either just a, an overwhelming price advantage, or there was going to be some, you know, something. Everybody was looking for them to make this big announcement. At the end of the day, if you can't get the content, or if the content, this content is only available from one source, and the content creator has a right to set any price any terms that they want to charge, whether that seems rational or not. And so it doesn't matter if you're Apple. Apple can't show up and say, okay, HBO, we want a license for, you know, whatever. You're going to give that to us, right? And Warner says, no. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. I'm just using it as an example. Um, and so the fact, though, that they have an amazing device platform, and you're seeing this with their strategy of putting their app on Samsung, for example. So I think it's pretty much all Samsung connected televisions. And um, I, I'm not sure how that extends to the mobile phones. I think it goes to the mobile phones. But on Samsung is going to be Apple. That's a platform. And they're going to be bringing on these channels. And it's a little bit what Amazon has been doing with the, with the channel strategy. And um, yeah. so I, I, I think it's very interesting how, you know, when we're looking at these business models, sometimes it's a little too simplistic to just talk about AVOD or SVOD or transactional VOD or pay TV or broadcast. There's these this, this macro um, that's forming over all of it. And that is, you know, do you own content? Are you creating content? And are you aggregating other people's content? You know, a la, you know, Disney Plus, of course, they own content. Right. So, um, but Netflix, they also own content, but they're aggregating, you know, so they're bringing, you know, more to the party. And then I think it's very possible that, you know, someone like an, like, like an Apple is, you know, yes, they license content. Yes. You know, they're creating content true, but in the scheme of things, when you look at the investment on the Netflix side or even Disney, it's quite small, you know, they've earmarked, you know, what I, I think it's, you know, one, one billion, I one think, billion. Like they've earmarked one billion, whereas Netflix is out spending on like 15 times, you know, every yeah. year, <laughs> you know, so, so you're kind of like, oh, okay, a billion dollars is not laughable, but come on, you know, Netflix, you know, 15 times every year they're spending to create content. So, you know, <laughs> so how can you, can, how can you compete purely on content creation? So um, I think that, 
you know, this is, it's just super interesting time. Uh, you know, there's certainly some technology implications in all of this. Um, for example, if Apple is a platform, as I'm proposing, and here you have all iOS devices um, support HEVC. You clearly have all Samsung televisions, uh, 4K anyway, of course, I don't, think samsung yeah. even makes a, a non non uhd panel no, maybe they do no not today yeah not today um but so you can safely say that if not all a, a extremely high percentage of samsung devices support hevc that is they have the codec built in it's ready to go the players there nothing else is needed royalties paid we're ready to go. You know, I think in terms of for those of us getting back to, you know, putting our encoding hats on and, you know, thinking about, um, you know, sort of the operations side, these are just further signs that we are very safe. We're in very safe kind of territory adopting HEVC and looking at these modern technologies because the platform is there and it's only going to grow. And um, uh, it's, you know, just very solid. So that's what I'm taking away personally from kind of all this, you know, the business model discussion and all these new services and announcements. And, you know, I'm getting less hung up on, um, you know, will consumers, you know, choose Netflix over Disney or at the end of the day, people like great content. And, and we're talking about companies that produce great content. Right. And yeah. so that's the good news. You know, if anything, yes, there's going to be some subscription fatigue, but wow, is there going to be just a, a, an amazing tsunami of uh, really high quality content that's coming, uh, you know, to across all these services and, and these various platforms. So it's a great time to be in video. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's going to be very exciting as uh as we come to the end of the year and uh, the new services will be launched and uh, how, how it will uh, work out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Before we end, I have to say something uh, that was very exciting for me at NAB. And this was me meeting our, our audience, meeting the listeners of the podcast. Again, thank you very much. All of those people out there listening to us um, now and, uh, and we hope uh, to meet you um, in uh, in uh, in trade shows and also, um, you know, uh, uh, virtually. Uh, if you want to give us some feedback, if you want, if you have an opinion that you want to express, uh, you want uh, uh, you want a comment or a talk back that we will read uh, on air. Uh, just uh, drop us a line, and uh, we'll be happy uh, to respond. And and you can reach us uh, by sending email to the video insiders. So just spell it out, all one word: the video insiders at Beamer, and that's B E A M R dot com. The whole purpose of this podcast is to further the industry provide relevant, timely information. Um, and we just saw an incredible need. And as Dror said, um, uh, we were really honored and privileged to meet um, many of you. We are so uh, happy for all of your attention that you give us. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H.264 transcoding every month.